Hello and welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, author of How to Start a Side Hustle and resident business coach, serving you straight up business advice to help you start, grow and scale the business of your dreams. Welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford. And back on today's episode is another incredible creative artist, author, entrepreneur who has just recently released their first book called I Didn't Do The Thing Today by Madeline Dorr. It's a book on letting go of productivity guilt, which I think is a pretty hot topic around here. And I definitely have walked into many of friends' lounge rooms and seen them reading this book. I think it's a topic that really stands out for creatives who, yeah, live in a world of busy and um, can get really caught up with overwhelm and guilt of not being productive enough. Um, And I think anyone working for themselves at some point struggles with this. So we have a good old chat about where that comes from and what we can do uh, to overcome it and dive into a bit of uh, Madeline's creative journey and how she came to write this book as well as giving some tips as to how she got her book deal and the process around that for anyone who might be looking to pitch a book deal or negotiate a book deal or has an idea. Uh, an incredible read, an incredible human and an episode full of wisdom advice and a big sigh of relief knowing that you don't have to do all the things all the time. It's a great chat. Love Madeline. Love everything that she does and stands for. I've known her for a while since uh, we connected when I first moved to Melbourne years ago. Uh, So it was an absolute honour to celebrate her and her work and her new book um, on today's episode. Enjoy the chat guys. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Madeline Dor. Oh, Madeline Dor. I feel like you have to say your full name. It's a Mad- <laughs> Madeline Dor. It's a cool name. <laughs> Thank you, Kayleen. Um, <laughs> no yeah, I'm, I'm rather fond of it as well. But it's it's just so lovely to be joining you. Finally, we've had so many um, attempts. It's just great to. No, it's been really nice to connect. And I think um, we were just chatting about it. I think it was like back in like 2019, 2018, I think when we first were like, what are you doing? Well, let's chat, let's do something. And I think you were running your, is it like the the workshops or like you just, I think it was like Saturday morning. So you just opened yeah. a, a door for people to come and do work. Yeah, side project sessions. So it was it. Um, every second Sunday uh, in Melbourne for a couple of years. And it was yeah a great space for people to come and do the thing that they might have been putting off um, because I think we need all the help we can get sometimes. And I had a little trusty bell that I would ding and um, yeah. there some great coffee breaks and things. And yeah, but then pandemic. <laughs> yeah, pandi- yeah. How did you, well, we're going to jump into this because I think, we, you know, you and I had something similar in that we both got book deals and we're writing during the pandemic. But let's jump in and tell us a little bit more about yourself and Extraordinary Routines and what you do and how it all came about. Yeah, well, I, I've spent, um, you know, the better half of a decade really exploring these themes of of productivity and creativity, and it, it really stemmed from feeling like I wasn't getting it right and feeling like I was falling behind other people or I wasn't able to kind of keep up. And I 
it really mystified me how people built a creative career in particular. Um, and it mystified me how people got things done and kept up with sort of life and also were prolific. And um, so I, I thought to sort of find the answers and to find the secret to getting things done, I, I started out speaking to people I admired. And I thought if I could see how they approached a day, then maybe I could copy paste and become successful like them. And so Extraordinary Routines very much sort of stem from that point of, of trying to figure it out. But very quickly, I was speaking to these people that I admired and had on a pedestal in many ways and quickly saw that they also didn't feel like they had it figured out. And they also stumbled with procrastination or perfectionism or comparison um, and they felt like they weren't productive enough either. And so it kind of really flipped things for me. And I, I saw that actually, you know, here I was trying to copy paste someone else's life, but actually you can't create the same recipe when you've got very different ingredients. And mm. I saw that actually it's, it's not so much about finding secrets or hacks or tips and things. It's actually about finding your own way. And sometimes people can really be inspiring in that regard. But at the end of the day, if it's making us feel bad that we're not keeping up with someone else or that we don't feel like we're productive enough, that's where I think we really need to get curious and look at where those stories are coming from and um, perhaps alleviate a little bit of that self-recrimination and, and really see like finding our own way. And so that's that project. There was lots of experiments in there and conversations, but it really culminated in my new book, I Didn't Do the Thing Today, as these lessons on not so much how to be productive, but how to stop feeling so terrible about ourselves when we're being set up to fail in many ways because it's never enough. So how do we find our own version of that? Ah, oh, it's amazing. And the book is beautiful and it's very conversational and you can, I feel like you can really feel like even your, your calm voice of being like, you know, it's okay. It's almost like a meditation. <laughs> um, but um, and congratulations, by the way. And I also love the tagline on the front of the book that says on, you know, I didn't do the thing today on letting go of productivity guilt. And it's mm. just like straight up, like you grab the book and you're like, oh my God, please help. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I love that because I think startup creative started in a similar way as well in that mm. I was like, how do I start a business? And, you know, the, and going to people who, who ran businesses that I admired. And A, I love that because, I think, and I'm sure you've had this, I mean, you've written a book about it and built a career around it as well. But I think a lot of people hesitate to reach out and to ask people and and think that they have to do it all themselves or, you know, that people are on a pedestal and aren't going to give them insights or the secrets or whatever. And I've actually really loved building a business around yeah, it's like a, a shared knowledge and shared experiences and, you know, people helping each other and, and, and sharing their life experience as advice, you know, and I think, yeah, it's listening to that. It's a, re a reminder, I guess, for anyone out there who might be thinking to reach out and ask somebody or, you know, get a mentor or support um, and let that, yeah, and, and use that as a way to build a career as well. Yes, yes, I love that, and you're it's, you're so good at it, Kayleen. And I think oh. it, it's it's a testament. I think it, it's it really helps enrich a project. I think when you're bringing conversations and real people into it, and I love this mm. quote. Who I don't know who to attribute it to, but mm. this idea that opportunities don't just float around; they're attached to people. And so it's it's about actually forming connections and 
and doing that in, in a way that is enriching, I think, is is wonderful. And it's it's not to say that we just sort of mine people for their opportunities, but we just see that actually that's such an important part of, I don't know, expanding ourselves as, as people. So, yeah. And I think it's, yeah, thank you. And it's that beautiful thing of like, you know, I think we both build communities and why we're here having this conversation today around um, yeah, collaborative spaces and, and, you know, helping each other and like there's enough to go around and, yeah, and sharing from a really real space of like I don't have it all together and, um, yeah, and, and, build, and making sure that people are putting themselves in those communities as well because I think it is easy to, yeah, to feel like, you know, no one would want to help you. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's the worlds that we live in of mm. an open source knowledge of being like, here's how I did it or here's the things that worked and here's the things that didn't work and um, and sharing that knowledge and then obviously taking it in a way that suits you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Mm. I love quote. that. Um, and I, I'm really interested to hear about like how you went with, obviously, you know, and I think we touched on this um, before we started recording, which is, you know, this idea and, you know, whether it is getting a book deal or actually, you know, writing a book from start to finish and, um, you know, or starting a business or going after an opportunity or, you know, it could be even just starting a blog or an Instagram page. Um, but how did you go about that process for you? What was it like to kind of have this thing spinning in your head how long did you want to have written a book for and yeah what were some of the steps that you took to actually make it a reality in terms of obviously your publishing deal but also writing it and yeah mm. tell us a little bit about that yeah well I think there's a, there's a version of um I suppose this this book deal that is in many ways what you could look at as a failure because I have long wanted to write a, a book um I you know very early on with extraordinary routines, saw the potential for it to be a book and was approached by publishers who um, had an idea for sort of, I guess, a coffee table version of the book where it would be the beautiful photography of the interviews accompanied by the conversations. And, you know, that's thrilling to be approached with that. Um, but I knew that actually I, I it wasn't just something that I wanted to print out, essentially. I wanted it to be the lessons. And so that really prompted in me that I, I wanted to write a book, but it, I sort of put that as this um, big goal and I really had a lot of pressure on myself to, to achieve that. And so I started to go out to other publishers with, with ideas and I even had a conversation with an Australian publisher and presented sort of a very early version of the proposal and, and this is now looking back I think it's five years ago that I had this conversation and they're like okay great this is interesting can you get us a sample chapter though and I was like yeah great I'll turn that around to you in a couple of weeks and then years went by and I, I sat on it I never wrote that sample chapter and I would berate myself and I would call myself lazy and that I'm procrastinating and um, you know I'm a, I'm a failure that I'm not sort of you know, taking up this incredible opportunity and, and just writing a sample chapter. Um, and, you know, in that time, though, um, I sort of was still continuing with the project and um, dabbling in other side projects as well. Um, and the book was sort of just in the back of my mind. And it was this conversation that I had with Claire Bowditch. And she was talking about how she had an idea for her book, but she at the time said, I'm not going to write this until I'm in my 40s. And so she postponed it because she needed to give it time. Like the book wouldn't be ready. She needed to actually have 
life experience and decades of experience mm. before she would have the insight and to be able to make the connection she needs to make. And that really changed things for me because I saw here I am trying to push this thing that's just not ready yet. I haven't mm. finished thinking about the themes. I haven't, I've cobbled together a proposal because that's what I've told myself I should do. Um, but the idea, it, it was flat. And so mm. that really, I, I, after that conversation, I put the book to the side and I saw that I wasn't procrastinating. I wasn't being lazy. I just needed more time. And that was an incredibly freeing thing because then I put it aside and I think it must have been maybe six, maybe nine months later that I had this epiphany and the book title came to me in this little kind of musing that I wrote and all the connections fell into place and I wrote a sample chapter in an hour. Like it just came out of me. And I think that that's what happens when something's ready and we're not pushing. And so I'm a big advocate for patience with the creative process and not mislabeling things and allowing things to take the time that they take. And it's often more enriching when it does because that process then um, had so much more flow to it. I was able to go back to that publisher. They picked up the idea. I um, had made connections with a new agent and was able to um, split off the rights and do these things that I had these ambitions for because I'd sort of learned enough about how publishing works and, you know, believed in the idea because it had five years of research behind it. So I think mm. it... It yeah culminated in something that was um, far more worthwhile than if I had to just rush through initially. Mm. Oh, thank you um, so much. <laughs> that was incredible. I love that story. There's so much in there that I want, I want to talk to because I think AI obviously I needed that advice right now because um, there's the yeah I I started working on the second book proposal. And I kind of rushed it off the back of my first one. And mm -hmm. I was in, probably in a bit of a manic state of being like, yeah, now I'm going to do another one. <laughs> and um, and sent the proposal and it, and it came back, you know, thought it was quite good. The publishing house are like, no, it's not quite, you know, not quite ready or something. You know, you're, you're not quite ready to write this or whatever. And it was a bit of a sting. Mm. And then it, I, you know, I was doing a lot of research and studying and forming more deeper ideas and getting clearer. And I went, I went back to it and, um, and started reworking it. And it, it already, I could see what they were seeing. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I get it. And then I started reworking it and then went back again and made, they suggested edits and it was looking like it was a go. And then it was like, not quite like the time for it or something like that. And so it's still like, I'm in the thick of this right now. And already having left it for a few months, I can already be like, oh yeah, like thinking about it. And I printed it out the other day to, to revisit. Um, but I can already see how I've evolved from the last time I edited it and what mm. a new, like a clearer vision for it already is. Um, mm -hmm. But it's that, yeah, it's that ruminating space that when in, and space. And I think what you said too is like when you actually allow yourself to put something down and say, you know, this is unfolding as it should and when the timing is right you get into that flow state and it's like it's mm. not this hardcore hustle and push through it's actually a flow state where yeah it becomes effortless and it, that's mm -hmm. something I love researching at the moment of like yeah and I know that you talk about this in the book a little bit too is like managing your your focus and your attention rather than managing just time 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And seeing these things as, you know, they sting that kind of feedback, but it is ultimately a gift because it's, it's going to make the thing better. And I just think that this is probably the whole tension or challenge or stumbling block, I think, is that we, we put this one part of the creative process on the pedestal and that's the doing, but it is, you know, part of a whole other system. Like there's, there's people write to the creative process in, in different stages um, and that can vary, but there's, you know, there's always going to be the preparation stage where you're collecting ideas and you're finding inspiration and, you know, putting that proposal together. But then there's the incubation stage and that's where you do put something aside and it looks like you're doing nothing. It looks like you're just going for a walk or having a shower or whatever it might be. But in that moment, that leads to the illumination stage and that epiphany and that aha moment. And then you're ready to do the verification and the the doing and so all of those parts have value, but we're just fixated on this one part. And I think that's the shame. And I think that's where we get really tangled and we feel bad about ourselves. And it's like, hang on a second, we're being set up to fail here if we're just focusing on that one part when, you know, we're human beings are part of this whole ebb and flow that we have. And so I think just trying to remember that and trying to place the value on all the different pieces of our lives um, uh, can help yeah. a lot. It's so, I've never really thought about it like that. I like, uh, yeah, because it's like this thing of like, and I think, you know, I learned it through interviewing people about how they started their business. It's one of my favorite parts of the stories are how long were you working on or how long did you have the idea before mm. what we see now or we're experiencing or the, you know, the perceived success or, you know, achievements have come to fruition and I think that, you know, you find that over and over again. It's somebody who's, yeah, concepted it. Like we um, had an interview recently where someone was like, I worked on the idea, just like concepting the idea for a year before I even did anything about it. And yeah, I love that because, you know, you look at it everywhere, right? It's like, mm. and I think, do you reckon it's, I mean, it's social media, we don't want to blame them for everything wrong with the world, <laughs> <laughs> which I tend to do. I feel like it's a common theme in my life. But, um, you know, there's, like I think of athletes, you know, like an Olympic mm-hmm. athlete who is, um, you know, aiming to, you know, runs a race for 10 seconds. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you don't see the 5 a.m. mornings and the where they went without, um, you know, social lives or, you know, discipline themselves and how they eat and train and, and prepare their bodies, you know. Mm-hmm. That's such a good analogy. I think that mm. really helps crystallize that idea. Mm. Mm. And it's somewhere in the business world we've just lost them. <laughs> Why? What happened? Did you did yeah. you write about that? <laughs> What's the answer? <laughs> well, it's yeah, I think it, it's funny. Like the, there's a chapter on comparison that I think probably speaks to this the most. It's just that funny phenomenon of we know when we're posting that we're curating and we're sharing highlight reels and what have you. And yet when you're looking at it, you forget that you're looking at highlight reels and Mm. that someone's curating this. And then so you can spiral in this sort of mirage of it all. And I think that, yeah, comparison can be really tricky because again, we're going back to this idea of like, you can't create the same recipe with different ingredients and we're not even seeing what kind of ingredients people have. Like the, and you know, part of extraordinary teams, it was imperfect because it was still kind of maybe perpetuating this idea that like, here's this, static version of someone's day that they're presenting to me through an interview but a day isn't like that like that was one day that I captured and days ebb and flow and I think sometimes we have those days where we do the thing and we tick off the list and 
we kind of have this effortless productivity and they feel amazing. Like you feel like you're shimmering and you're like, whoa, like there's, there's, there's a great feeling to doing and productivity, but it's not every single day will be like that in uniform. Um, mm. they, they feel so good because maybe they're rare, but yet we made, make, we make this the, uh, the ideal that if you're not then living up to, you're falling short mm. and you're, you're failing. And so I think it's just that we, social media and comparison, we're just not getting the full picture. We're just getting a little slither. And then yet we're using that as a way to kind of, you know, project onto ourselves for not being good enough. But it's like, hang on a second, we're totally different people and we've got different resources. We've got different attention, neurodiversity, privileges, um, you know, kids or no kids. And the hours in the day aren't uniform for everyone. You know, you might have a commute, you might not. Like there's just so many variances, thousands that... We're just incomparable, yet we think that we should be keeping up. It's just sort of a, it's a trap. <laughs> it's a spiral, it really and it's like, ah, oh, I feel caught. I, li- I like that it. way that you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what what is the point of being human? <laughs> Why do we do this to ourselves? Um, no, I love the way that you talk about it in ingredients um, because I think that's per- yeah the 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 diversity of of our lives and you know what our upbringings and our personalities and our star signs exactly <laughs> um, so many you know and i think that it's like you know that when i really dive into the research around you know productivity and and obviously motivation um you know it's a dopamine hit like our brain mm. is actually releasing a chemical that is addictive you know that is what a lot of drugs mimic, you know, mm-hmm. in that we're, and we're chasing that we're chasing. And so it is a chemical release that's happening, which is a feel good chemical. And when you feel it, you're actually motivated to want more of it. And mm-hmm. so then when it's not there, and I think where the problem ha- lies is we've somehow associated that with self-worth. Mm, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was actually saying this to a client um, the other day is, you know, and I think how your example of the writing the chapter in an hour after trying to get a book deal for years is um, the, the flow state thing again. And it's, I've really been trying to do this myself and with clients and, you know, I have this conversation with friends a lot. It's like, yeah, you can not do you have a, a really productive day or or you can have a, a you know a really you know slow you know kind of funky time where you're just not quite clear or you can't feel like you're getting anything done but when you're on when I'm on I'm on you know and mm-hmm. what I could achieve in the space of yeah an hour or or, or four hours um could would outdo me trying to sit at a desk for 30, 30 hours a week because my quality of my time and focus is better. Yes. And then, and I was saying this to a client who was on the verge of burnout and I was like, you need to rest and, you know, really start to let the balls drop and be okay with that. And she was like, it's so hard. And I was like, I know, but we're up against hundreds of years of conditioning that mm-hmm. says... It, you are worthy if you are in this like you know, the the work hard has been uh, glorified. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, oh, it's such a tangle, and it's it is it's so difficult because it's it's not just going to be a switch that we you know that we can turn off and then now we're untethered from productivity and measuring ourselves by what we do. It's we're entrenched societally and systemically in this 
Um, mm. And it, it is tricky. But so I think that for me, like seeing seeing this, the, the frame here of, you know, productivity is a measure of our worth then means that it's never enough because there's no mm. end point. Productivity by definition means perpetual lurching forward. And that's mm. great. Like we, we, we still need it. Again, there's nothing wrong with being productive. Um, but it's just that if we're, if it's the sole measure, we're just going to be forever lurching. So how do we mm. introduce other things that we can kind of ground ourselves in? And I think that the one way to do that is, I guess that the ultimate antidote is to find what works for us and what you just spoke to there about your own process. It's, it's so great to see, like, again, this, this idea that we are so different, you know, I've got a friend who's very much a plodder and she will work consistently day after day for a few hours and plod along and it's slow, but she gets there. So if you look at her week, she's plodding along every day. And then if you look at my week, there's like these big times where I'm just absorbing and, and, and kind of essentially faffing, but then I sort of squeeze it into sort of a day or a morning. And in comparison, we've we've got to the same, we got to the finish line at the same time, but the road there was like, or the route there was so different and so who's to judge? Like, you know, plotting works for her, squeezing works for me. Um, and we get there. And so we can honor that. And then we can embrace finding our own way and experiment and still try new things if we feel like something's not working. Um, but by doing that, we sort of see that, you know, we, we remove productivity or that output part of the process as the mm. measure. And instead we kind of introduce that there's so much more to measure our day by. And, and and sort of, I like to kind of look to things like, what did I learn? Who did I connect with? What, you know, even this idea of curiosity, like trying to sort of maybe turn things over or deepen my experience with something or just even enjoyment. Like, what are we here for if we're not enjoying the day? Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I just think I that there's that. some flexibility to be had. It's true, hey? And I think there's this thing when you just said then, like, you know, what did I learn today? And I think something that I've really started noticing is like, you know, researching, you know, the brain and and memories and and how, you know, our beliefs and our thoughts and stuff. And, you know, how I always teach it is like the brain is like, you know, this library and Mm. all this data is going in. And there's been so many times, I don't know if you've had these moments where it's like, you you know all of I I love these moments where it's like you know you've watched a movie that's like completely for fun and then I've read a research article and then I've been in a coaching client conversation and then I've you know read a quote on on the side of the road or whatever and then like this thing clicks and it's like Mm. data from all of those pieces all start to kind of like weave together and then form this opinion or, or see something differently or you know it yeah it clicks to a piece of information that I want to teach or you know use as an analogy and you're just like oh I needed all of those random input data to like help make that connection Mm, exactly exactly Mm. I, I like to sort of refer to ourselves as being like sponges because like a sponge like you need to absorb something like that's your purpose is to like Mm -hmm. bring something in and so you're absorbing and that's you know when you are collecting all those things from the day and and and, you know again it looks like you're not doing anything but you are absorbing and then that's exactly what is needed to be able to have the squeeze to be able to have something to sort of to 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 to, yeah like I'm just like sponging my hands right now doing the thing like to be like and obviously there's there's a point that sometimes the tricky part is 
when does the absorbing become inertia? Because you can't absorb forever. You do need that mm. squeeze to follow. Right. Um, and so I think that's kind of sometimes the tricky, why this is so hard is that there is tension in this, in that sometimes procrastination is purposeful and you, you are absorbing and you need more time and you need to be collecting more. And sometimes it is sabotage or fear. And so knowing the difference and knowing sometimes when you need to actually engineer a squeeze for yourself, it's like, it is time. I need to sort of find something to to help me do this. And that's going back to sort of side project sessions was that I knew I needed a lot of support around me and accountability and a little bell and all these, you know, kind of scaffolding to get the thing done because we are in a world of destruction and, you know, even kind of subjugating our own wants and desires, especially with creative ideas, it's so easy to sort of put someone else's priority first or to keep postponing because there's other things you need to be doing. And so how do we do the things that matter? Mm. Um, so how do you, I mean, yeah. What, what are your tips? Cause I know that people are out there like, yeah, yeah, I know. But like, yeah. what do I do? <laughs> I know. Like, I guess that's where I have to be like, Oh, big caveat. Like I, there <laughs> is no, one way like that's where I kept tripping over is I kept trying to like look for the secret in someone else instead what worked was cobbling together things that worked for me and continuing Mm. to experiment so I think you you have to keep maybe really paying Mm. attention and getting curious Mm. about your own rhythms and patterns and your own judgments and your own stories and and interestingly Mm. the thing that really helps me do the thing is taking away the judgment. So, you know, this idea that uh, I think it's a Carl Sagan quote that when I stopped trying to change myself, I changed because when you stopped trying to sort of be perfect or to do things this way or become a morning person, because that's going to be the secret. Like for so long, I postponed my life because I was waiting until I was someone who could stick to a routine. It's like when I have a routine then I'm going to be successful or Mm. when I become more disciplined, then I'm going to be this. And it's like, we don't ever get there. Like that's something that we continually can sabotage. Like if I sleep through my alarm, then, oh gosh, it looks like I can't be this person that I want to be, or I can't do the things Mm. I want to do. And so when I stopped trying to do that, interestingly, now when I look at my day, I've got these things in there that I was striving for for so long, like a, a regular exercise habit meditation, like all the things that I was trying to force in there have crept up over time and I've put them in there because I wanted to do them and they felt good and I just let them kind of evolve into my day rather than like squeezing them in. It's like, oh, okay, it looks like I meditate Mm -hmm. now. Like, and Look at me doing a routine. (laughs) Um, So it's just sort of, I think, yeah, it takes a long time to become who we are, Mm. I guess. And it always changes. So I don't know if that answers your question because there's no tip except for like find what works and and be okay with the things that don't or let them, let it take a while till you, you know, and, and acknowledge where you might be set up to fail rather than, going straight to self-blame because mm. the self-blame is not going to make it easier to do it at all. That's mm. the, probably the big yeah. thing to try to. No, I love that. On. And um, I think there's a couple of things that I wanted to like add to that too, is like what I love that you said is like, um, you know, doing what feels right for you, obviously, and, and trying them out. And, you know, and I, I was thinking as you were talking about, yeah, what would my advice be about, you know, how to actually take action and something that you said about, 
being curious and in touch with what is right for you. And I think the first thing that came to mind for me was therapy <laughs> mm, and, and yeah. having a self-practice because I think what people don't understand, yeah, and I think you talk about this in the book as well about the human aspect. And I think sometimes we can read all the self-help books and listen to the podcast and and study the people that we admire. And we forget that we're a human that is also uniquely wired, right? And mm. that there is a unique way for us to be doing it. And what is rather than just co- yeah, copy and pasting, but how can you be in touch, so in touch with yourself that you know, because I think there's you know, there um, a lot of motivational, you know, as research talks about this sweet point where the pressure is enough that it inspires you, but if it mm. becomes too much or too hard or whatever, then it can actually cripple you. And I think it's about catching that sweet spot for yourself where you know if you're procrastinating or you know if you're soaking up or resting and restoring in order to mm-hmm. take the big next leap or whatever. Because it, and if you're in tune enough with yourself and you listen and you, you know, for me, that's why I have a meditation practice because I need to tune in to and get out of my head <laughs> and not mm. be working from my head and tune into like a heart or an intuition, what, what, what's feeling right. And yeah, designing my life based on me and finding yeah so you when you're in tune with yourself you can catch that sweet spot I think better and then there's the other side to that which is like you also are you can be in integrity with the moving forward because I like this like you the definition you said um around uh product what it was about the leap forward what was oh, that the uh, perpetually uh, lurching forward <laughs> yeah the lurching forward is kind of savage but I the, the thing that came up for me when you said that and I was like yeah like I like the idea of moving forward and if you know everything mm. is always in motion and if we're not in motion we can you know become stale I think where it goes wrong is w- are we lurching forward towards what is right for us or are we lurching Mm. forward towards somebody else's dream or goal because we've watched them and compared ourselves and, and are moving and are lurching forward. And that's where, you know, coming back to self-practice and listening and, and knowing what's right for you is like, you'll know when you're forcing to copy because somebody else's dream, because it feels like comparison, you'll never feel good enough. Mm. But when you're lurching towards something that is, you, you're like, yes, this lights me up mm. and I, I'm I'm meant to be doing this. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, I think we overlook the simplicity of when we want to do something or we enjoy doing something, it's more likely we're going to do it. So, and then we can, we can see, yeah. So it's, if it's something that we want to be doing, then that's a great first step. Like it's, it's, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be we need to allow things to take the time they take and then it will be effortless, but it, it, it will still have all those kind of stumbling blocks. But I think that it can be a missing piece that we, you know, we, we put it all as pressure and productivity and output, but actually it's what if we favoured mm. wanting to do things? What if we favoured enjoyment of the things that we're doing? What if we favoured mm. delight rather than, like taking delight in something rather than, oh, this discipline approach that we have to have. And I think that, yeah, that, 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 that that research that we were talking about, there's a, I think it's called the Zaganic effect. When something's possible, um, 
like when something's unfinished, it creates a tension, but that tension has to be possible and enjoyable mm. for it to sort of be something we're going to pick back up. And so we can engineer yeah. that. I think we can engineer it by making things a lot smaller so they're doable. We can engineer it by making finding a way to make it more fun, like sort of bundling different tasks with things, like listening to a podcast when you have to clean the bathroom. Like, like that's mm. a little trite example, but I think we can, and we can appreciate that we kind of want things to have an inconvenience to them. Like we, we want to have that engagement with something. That's kind of what brings about flow. So I think, yeah, I think mm. there's ways that we can experiment with finding the sweet spot, sweet spot, but first of all, find the things that we want to be doing. Yeah. And sometimes we don't know what they are. And then it looks like that's a whole other thing of like, I don't know what I want. And sometimes it's hard to admit that to ourselves. And so we just perpetually lurch and we stay on a hamster wheel because if mm. we stop, we then have to confront like the empty space, especially I think mm. maybe you found this with finishing a book, the empty space after a project and the pressure of people asking, so what's next? What's next for you? And mm. like, I don't know. And I don't think we're very comfortable with saying, I don't know what I want to do, but mm. I think it's important to do so because that's a very enriching space that, you know, the space between no longer and not yet mm. and to not rush to fill it is such yeah. a challenge. But I think oh. it's really enriching. I mean that right now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, stay yeah, no, right? Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's um I, I probably I think I rushed to do things because it, I'm so glad you said filling the empty space because I was having this conversation the other day with someone and we were talking about like when you create space it has to be filled, like it will be filled. And we were actually talking about it um, in, it was with, um, who was it? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But talking about this, um, when you create space, like, you know, we were talking about it in the sense of grieving, right? So it's mm -hmm. like when somebody is lost, grief fills the void, you know, when somebody is, when the connection of them, that's what grief is. It's actually feeding this, um, yeah, does that make sense? But like, it does, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Like, yeah, yeah, sorry, you go. Oh, no, like it just makes you think of um, something that's really helpful for framing grief. And I think it's the same thing. Like I think it's a similar feeling of like the, yeah, it kind of fills a space that's available, but also the grief doesn't, we think that we just move through grief. But the grief stays. We just get bigger around it. And so maybe I think all of this does, the alignment is kind of interesting because I think that all of this doing and all this productivity and the hamster wheel stuff is because we essentially do have a human void inside of us. Like we're born with lack essentially. And so, you know, we're told that productivity can fill that. Or maybe for someone else it's money is what fills that. Or maybe it's relationships is what they think fills the void. Um, but it's just, it's never enough. It's still sort of, it's still there, but we can get bigger mm. around our own void maybe, yeah. or we can put that void to use, I think. rather than Oh yeah. Or allowing the void to be the void, you know, like a, the waiting yeah. and the, the, yeah, the percolating to be mm. in the void rather than action, you know, and I think we, we default to action, but yeah, it's, it's so timely this conversation because I think I'm the same off the back of the book of like, I definitely went into turbo mode and, you know, created all these other products and things. Um, but now I think especially the first three months of 2022 have, have felt slow and unclear and uninspiring. And 
I've really surrendered having having to and keeping to do so into when when the you know the vision comes or you know the idea or the next steps or whatever big project I want to work on next when it comes I'll be ready and it'll be super clear and just allowing myself yeah to still be recovering off the back of a book launch last year mm. 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 yeah exactly and there's it's just hard. you know <laughs> other things we can do in that time like you might want to learn something new or yeah. work a, mix up your day job or like what whatever it yeah, just allowing that space. I think that because mm. we're we're doing other things, even if we're not doing that one creative thing or that business mm. idea. There's other components to our life that are still ticking along. Yeah, and I think that comes back to what we were saying before around this, you know, societal pressure and you know, conditional conditioning around um, action is the number one, you know. Um, like um, measure of success or, or or worth or whatever, and it's like, yeah, what if we we took that off the top of the charts? Or oh, there was none, and they everything mm. was just as equally, you know, resting was just as equal. Um, which, yeah, I think is the thing that we're learning and trying to break free from in society. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my question: <laughs> Do you think that society is ever going to change? <laughs> Oh, I am, yes, the figurehead of society. And I can tell you that we've had a meeting and we're going to change. Great, thank you. Like, when? Idea, but like, I think, you know, just um, just as a small human in the world observing, maybe we are changing. Like this is, I don't know, it's it's so difficult to say because it's, again, comes back to so many different variances and one change and how that has a ripple effect and a domino effect on someone else. It, you know, not everything's going to be positive or negative, but maybe just from observing you know, the great resignation, for example, is one, you know, a particular cohort of people who have the ability to mix things up are taking that. And so mm. that's that's interesting to see. And maybe it's been interesting to see that as people go back to the office, as if they were working from home during um, lockdowns and things, um, just, you know, it's sort of, we're seeing sometimes, even just friends sort of saying that it's like we've remembered nothing and you know there is this sort of like resume to you know quote unquote going back to normal and it's like well actually we found that this we can work from home and it works for certain people and didn't we learn that we're didn't we see how we can all work to our strengths rather than into this sort of rigid idea of a working day Mm. um so i think maybe in parts we're changing but also maybe in parts where it's like one step forward two steps back um Mm. I don't know. It's really hard and to it, say, but again, yeah, I hope yeah. so. I hope there's some untethering happening. Um, <laughs> I love that word, yeah. untethering. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it's, I've seen a few articles pop up, which I've saved and obviously haven't read, but around people, certain countries trialing a four-day work week. And, you know, I think that's some positive things. But I think you're right in that, like, and it kind of comes back to what we are saying before, of like when you're when you're connected to what's right for you, and you're empowered in that and then you actually, yeah, you tell the boss, I'm not working in the office five days a week or I'm not going to do overtime or mm. I, you know, I, I do need, you know, just space or, you know, whatever. So, mm. yeah, you kind of, it's like that small group of people have the ability to make change if we're all connected to ourselves and, um, yeah, and, and bringing about that shift. Hopefully. Yeah, it would be so good if <laughs> we it all came just from... go on strike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's sort of it's still still so much pressure from on the individual when it's like this is a mm. systemic problem. But it's if we saw leaders, you know, 
Mm. honoring their own ebb and flow or their sponginess, mm. uh, then it gives permission for other people too. So maybe, yeah, like maybe it'll be... Maybe that's why we love the New Zealand Prime Minister so much. <laughs> maybe, yeah, exactly. Like we, it, it's sort of, yeah, having people who are championing yeah. ways of doing things differently. Bringing, yeah, but I think because she breastfed in Parliament, didn't she, or something? And it was just like, yeah. yes, the humanness, you know? Exactly. Yes, amazing. the humanness. Yeah, so. amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing so many incredible insights and and for writing your book and for doing what you do. And um, I think there's so much wisdom in this conversation. And I think it's, yeah, it's, and I think you open your book like this. It's not necessarily that we have all the answers, but um, that we can have this conversation and hopefully, you know, people can breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, cool. You know, like, <laughs> like it's yeah. not, um, yeah, we're all, we're all figuring it out Um and I really like how we touched on that topic over and over around doing what's right for you. And I know that, you know, when you want an answer, it's really hard to hear that. But if you're feeling triggered by that, then there's probably a good sign to stop. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. <meditate. laughs> the answer is like, even, you know, we all know this, like going to a friend for advice, like we we, we know the answer we want to hear. Like mm. we, we've got it inside of us. So I think that... um. Yeah, I think that mm. look, look for those um, yeah. if the book can help people kind of open up to their yeah. own wisdom and answers and help them see that maybe they're being a bit yeah. hard on themselves and they're doing better than they think, um, yeah. I think is probably the thing. Amazing. So thank you for all all you do too, Kayleen, to help um, usher people into seeing how uh-huh. vibrant and capable and all those things they really are. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. I really like that open that um, helping people to open up. I think is a, a beautiful way to end because I think it's as simple as that. You know, is just being. I mean, it's not simple and easy to do, but this idea of like not having to. There is no one way. There is no right. There is, you mm. know, there's going to open ebb and flow. And if we can be open to the many different ways that life unfolds and work unfolds and ideas come and um, then I think we're more equipped to be um, kinder to ourselves in that space. Absolutely. Mm. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to finally touch base and um, maybe is is there any final piece of wisdom that you would like to leave for people um, as yeah, if, who might be experiencing the guilt around procrastination or not getting mm. the things done? Yeah, well, a favorite of mine. It's it's borrowed from um, a writer who wrote a book called How to Live on Twenty Four Hours a Day. In mm-hmm. it was published in nineteen oh eight. So we've mm-hmm. been grappling with this for over for centuries, um, and it's you know this idea that the beautiful thing about time is that it can't be wasted in advance. So we can turn over a new leaf every hour if we choose to. And so just, um, I suppose, remember, like if you are in that, you know, worrying about all the time that you're wasting or wasted in the morning, the only way to actually waste time, I think, is to worry about wasting it. So Mm, go for that walk or turn over a new leaf this next hour and and don't take it with you, I suppose. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Amazing. Great way to end. Thank you so much, Madeline. Congratulations. Thank you, Kayleen.